0: Hello, and welcome to the Church Newtown Square podcast. If we can serve you in any way, or if you'd like to learn more about our church family or the Acts 29 network, please visit us at churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. And now let's listen in to today's teaching. Well, when one has a warranty or one has a guarantee, what you have is that a promise that whatever is broken, say the gift that you've gotten for Christmas that has already broken, that you are guaranteed that something will be made right, that it will be fixed. And when you have a guarantee or you have a warranty that says when this breaks, we will fix it, there is comfort, isn't there? Aren't you glad that you have warranties for your cars, your dishwasher, My neighbor, a few months ago, uh, I was mowing her lawn, and I noticed that a a certain section in her lawn, I would start to sink down, and there was a lot of water. And I was like, it hadn't rained in a while, and so I wondered what was going on. So when she came home, I said to her, hey, you might want to check out the front of your lawn. It's awfully wet. And sure enough, a pipe had broken under her lawn, and she had to have the entire front lawn dug up. And the pipe repaired because Aqua does not repair the pipes going from the public line to your house. Many of you know those, those, those pamphlets you get in the mail every few months. Do you know that you're responsible for the pipe that breaks under your yard because we're not? How many of you have gotten that letter? I've thrown them away time and time again. Except for this year, I've held on to one. Because my neighbor paid $7 a month, she didn't have to pay seven grand in services to fix her pipe. She was guaranteed, ensured, that the pipe would be fixed because she had made the payments. But if you don't pay, or if you don't abide to the terms of the agreement, however, things do not get fixed. There is no repair. There's no restitution. You have to incur the cost. And if you can't pay the cost, then guess what? It doesn't get fixed. It remains broken. In our passage this morning, uh, we are reading of a guarantee that God gives his people. A guarantee that is only guaranteed because of the power that is behind that guarantee. It is an agreement between God and his people that he himself will repair that which is broken. Because at this point in Israel's history, Israel is paying deeply for the cost of her sin. And there seems to be no sign of anything being repaired anytime soon. They have abandoned the Lord. They are spiritually bankrupt. They are alone, and they are in the wilderness of faith, wondering whether or not God has let them down. This is an absolutely incredible New Year's passage for those of us who are looking ahead and wondering whether or not God is going to show up because it doesn't seem like he has showed up lately. We're studying the book as a church of Isaiah thematically, and we're looking at it through three lenses. We're looking at it first through the kingship of God, that God is our king. We spent the last few weeks before Advent looking at the Davidic kingship, that God has sent a messenger in a Davidic king, the one who would come and be our ruler. Moving into the second part, we're going to be looking through Isaiah in the theme of a servant, God as our servant. A servant is coming, and he will serve us in a particular way. He will serve Israel in a particular way that will rescue them out of their misery. In chapter 39, just before this, Isaiah predicted that Judah would go into exile. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah is, is a theme that is rooted in Judah, the southern kingdom. Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the top kingdom of Israel and the bottom kingdom of Judah. Isaiah says to them, you are going to be deported. You're going to be exiled by Babylon. And sure enough, in 586 BC, just over 100 years later, that happens. The Babylonian army overwhelms Jerusalem. They lead the survivors off to captivity at the other end of the fertile crescent of the Middle East. Now Israel is in exile. The shift happens at, at, at chapter 40 where all of a sudden we're not talking about Judah anymore. We're not talking about exile. We're talking about the disillusionment of God's people. They feel defeated. They are in exile. They're bitter. In our verse here in chapter 20, uh, 40, verse 27, uh, they even ask God, they say, Do you not hear? My way is hidden from the Lord. Isaiah addressed it. They blame God, which is what we do. When things fail, when things are broken, we say, this is God's fault. And so what does God do? Well, He comforts them. He comforts them. He comes down with a promise, and He ha- has a hope for them that doesn't depend on them but it depends on himself he promises to display his glory before the whole world he promises salvation and then he even promises that he will give us strength to wait for it my question for you this morning is are you heading into 2024 in need of any comfort are you in need of spiritual strength Are you not the man or woman that you thought that you would be in 2024 and hope that this is going to be a banner year for you? Are you looking ahead and thinking, here's my list of things that I'm going to, I'm really going to turn it around this year. 2023 didn't work out so much, but at least I ticked off a few things, but I'm going to add some more and I'm going to do better. I'm going to be the person I really want to be. Perhaps you feel spiritually bankrupt, far from God. Maybe you even think that God has failed you. If so, you are in good company this morning because not only do a lot of people around you feel that same way, but Israel and Judah felt the same way nearly 2,700 years ago. And the same promise to them is the promise that we have to rely on today. God's comfort is available to you this morning. And it is God's comfort, not man's. There is no comfort in man's workings or his power. It is God's comfort. And it is only God that can guarantee that you can have comfort from him. Isaiah 40 begins a major section of the book. He's, he's not addressing Judah. He's, he's looking to a future day. He's not saying, Judah, this is what's going to happen. He's, he's speaking to all of Israel and saying, this is how God is going to come and give you comfort. And he says, he has not abandoned you. God has a purpose of grace for you. He's coming to save you. And so When we shift in the next few chapters, in chapters 40 through 55, we're going to be looking at the the message of consolation, of comfort. This theme of comfort lasts through the entire section of Isaiah that we'll be studying. And there are three parts to our passage this morning that I want you to look at. First, I want you to look at the message of comfort. Verses 1 through 11, if you're taking notes, are God's comforting promise. In verses 1 through 11, it is essentially an introduction that God comes with a comforting promise of worldwide salvation. Two, we're going to look at God's comforting power. Verses 12 through 26 is actually a poem, and at the center of that poem, which is typical of Hebrew poetry, that at the center is the, the core of what they want you to get, and that, that, that poem points us to the power of God, God's comforting power. God is able to keep the promise of comfort because he is the one who has the power to do it. And finally, verses 27 through 31, we're going to look at God's comforting presence. That God promises not only comfort, but he, he He promises us his presence. And then by the end, Israel is intended to reach a conclusion. You are intended to reach the conclusion that God's promise of comfort, his, his promise of comfort energy energizes us it strengthens us to live above the despondency of right now israel's like man we are suffering for our sins is this ever going to end 2023 is miserable i don't think that 2024 is is has much more hope god gives us comfort so that we might be able to live in the despondency of the right now that we are not unseen or forgotten but you are seen and god hears you and he knows you and he wants to give you his strength to get through the daily grind of life, look with me at verse one. First, God's comforting promise. Isaiah opens up with God saying, "Comfort, comfort my people." You've heard of comfort food—that food that you you eat that has more caloric intake than you should have. You know, so you know that it's not good for you, but it man, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel all warm. It makes you want to take a nap. That sense of comfort is that that feeling of security and safety, that things are going to be okay. And God says that Israel, the ones that he's just exiled, has said that they are my people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Isaiah is saying, God has told me to tell you that you are to be comforted. He is your God. He has not forgotten you. In fact, God says to Isaiah, verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And announced to her that her time of forced labor is over. She has paid her debt. Jerusalem and Zion are both uh, similar uh, equations to the people of God. The church of God, Jerusalem, that's the city that represented the people of God. He's saying Jerusalem, the the, the core, the center of my people, speak tenderly to them. That word there is the same word that uh, one would use when a young man is speaking tenderly to his fiance. When a a mother and a father are speaking tenderly to their child, it is is not forced, it is not angry, it is comforting words in the midst of circumstances that seem will never end or that are painful. I have a friend who is serving in jail right now, and I just talked to him last week, and at the end of our conversation, uh, he reminded me that he has nine months to go. And in nine months, his debt will be paid. He will leave a free man. His debt to society will be paid. He cannot be retried for the crime that he has paid for. He is cleared of all guilt. And in the same way, God is saying, your guilt, her iniquity has been pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. She is paying her debt. Then some voices cry out. Verse 3, a voice of one is crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. And what is this way? This way is a way to his people. The Lord is coming through the wilderness. He's coming through where they're at. Things are crazy. There's no life there. They're, They're there. They're in the wilderness of faith. They don't know whether God is going to visit them or not, whether they're going to come out of Babylon. And he says, no, a voice is going to cry, prepare the way. Make straight a highway, which is to, to make a direct line. If I were to make a direct line from here, to this is what it is. It's straight out those double doors, straight to those doors. The, the, the quickest way to, to a distance is what? A to B. A straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley, verse 4, will be lifted up. Those who are in the valleys of despair, they will be lifted up. Every mountain will be brought low. Everyone who is prideful and arrogant will be dropped down. Every difficult circumstance to get to God is going to be leveled. And the Lord will appear. It will be easy traveling to see this Lord who is coming for them. The glory, verse 5, of the Lord will appear And not just Israel, but all humanity together is going to see the glory of the Lord, the person of the Lord, the glory. It's not going to be this firework display, but it is going to be Him. It's going to be Him appearing in tender care. How do we know this is going to happen? Well, in verse 5, it says, the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Anytime it says that the word of the Lord is spoken, it's a done deal. In college, I used to give these things called the Tom Hatzina guarantee, (laughs) And what that was, was that when my friends asked me to do something, or like, I wanted to make sure any time that I knew that I could do it, I'd be like, I give you the Tom Hazina guarantee, which meant that like, it was a no-fail, like, okay, I can be there. Uh, and that was to boost their, in, their uh, confidence in me. And then I stopped using it, because then I realized the Tom Hazina guarantee doesn't always, I, I, sometimes I, I wouldn't be able to meet that guarantee. But this is no Tom Hadzina guarantee. This is God saying, I have spoken it, and every time I speak, I am faithful and true to accomplish that which I am doing. Another voice cries out, a third voice, verse 6, a voice was saying, cry out. And then another one says, well, what should I cry out? This is the prophet speaking. God is saying, cry out this. And he's saying, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the picture of man's spiritual bankruptcy. That the life that is in flowers at the beginning of the summer fades when the heat of the sun comes. They fade. Grass gets brown at the end of the summer. You enjoy mowing your lawn on the first few weeks of June when it's raining and it's beautiful and it's green. But then at the end of August, it's just like a crispy sandpaper. You know what I'm talking about? You're just blowing dust everywhere. You know, but you need to feel good about yourself, so you just mow the lawn again. Like, ah, it hasn't grown, but it's blowing dust. Life has left from it. Whenever spiritual difficulties come into the life of mankind, they tend to shy away from God's need. They'd say, I can do this on my own, but they don't have any power. The life is left uh, left from them. God is saying man is spiritually bankrupt. They are spiritually unfaithful, but the, the word of the Lord, his faithfulness, his righteousness is not bankrupt. In verse 9, Zion, again, another word for Jerusalem, the people of God. They are high on a mountain. They are, they are the heralds, the proclaimers of good news. Hark the herald angels sing. Heralders of good news. It is a war term. It is the north has won. The war is over. The British have surrendered. Herald of good news. God is here. He's, he's seeing He's seen in this city, in this people. Here is your God, he says. You will be able to find him. He's making it level and easy, and he's coming to you where you're at. You are in a wilderness, and I'm coming to you, and it will be easy. And it won't be something where you're hide and seeking to see if God's there. He's saying he's right here. Here he is. It will be obvious to everyone. And how will he come? Verse 10, the Lord God comes with strength. But this strength is not strength to like show off his muscles and just kind of wipe out his enemies. No, what is this strength used for? Verse 11, he's coming to protect his flock, his people, his family. He's, he is a shepherd. He's gathering the lambs. There's images of generations. He's, he's caring for his sheep. He's caring for the lambs. He's holding them. He's carrying them in the fold of his garment. My son likes to hold our puppy. I like to hold our puppy, but he's a seventh month old chocolate lab. He's getting to be a little bit big to hold. You know, at some point you're like, I can't keep holding you anymore. It's like babies, they get too big. If I were to hold my two year old, you'd be like, that's a little weird looking. Except if they're injured, except if they're in need of comfort or care. And that's the strength that the Lord brings. He's coming with strength, He's bringing reward, He's bringing care, He's bringing concern. And this is what God is speaking to his people. He's speaking comfort to them. They've abandoned him. On the beginning of of Isaiah, it says, who abandons their God? You have abandoned my God. In chapter 1, he says, this is what you've done. You've abandoned me. You've left me. And yet what does God do? I've raised children, he says. I've raised lambs and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Most of us would be like, that's it, I'm I'm done. I'm I'm, I'm tired of you. Some of us have grown up in families where dads have just been like, I've had it and they've left. That's not our God. He comes with strength to comfort. And whether or not you believe that comfort is going to come is dependent upon whether or not you really believe. That's why he says, the word of the Lord is spoken. So you have a decision to make. Israel, you have a decision to make. Either you're going to believe what God has said to be true, that he's coming to comfort and rescue you, or you don't. Well, what reason would we give to trust this God? Number two, God's comforting power. What follows is a poem that Isaiah wrote, verses 12 through 26. And the way that poems are written is you have your outside sentences, then you have the next inside sentences. And then you have the center sentence. Chewy goodness in the center. And that's the point. And so rather than work from beginning to end, Hebrew poetry is they start with the center. They want you to know this is what the poem is about. And then they affirm that by what's outside of it and then what's outside of it. Isaiah first examines the relationship of this powerful creator, their God, to the rest of humankind. The rest of the nations, in verses 15 through 17, he examines them. And then he comes back to them in verses 21 through 24 about princes and rulers. And then closer to the center, he talks about the wisdom of his plans for creation and how he manages them. But then he gets to the center, and in verse 18, look what it says. He basically says, whom will you compare God? Who will you compare God to? Okay, well, what is this God? God is God. He's pointing to God. So who is this God? Verse 12. These, these rhetorical questions. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has marked off the heavens with the spans of his hand? Who has gathered the dust and the earth and measure? God is the creator of all things, and he made all things intimately. Look at those words. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters? Who has marked off the heavens? Who has Gathered the dust of the earth. Who has weighed the mountains in a balance? These are things that are are to be held, to be uh, tactically touched, and to be measured and weighed, and like a carpenter that takes wood and measures and marks and and saws and places. And it is intimately involved. So also God has been intimately involved in creation. This God, He has. Who has done that? Who measures the Atlantic Ocean with their hand? Anyone? Verse 13, the counsel and the wisdom, he knows all things. Who has given him, directed the spirit of the Lord or given him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who, who, who gave him the knowledge to make sure that all of the planets just don't spin out into the outer recesses of the universe? They just perfectly rotate around the sun. Who, who gave him wisdom for that? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? And then he goes into the dominance of the creator over mankind. He's, he's saying, look on earth. Who, who, has, who has the power to do all that has been created? Who has the wisdom? Verse 15, look, the nations are dropped in the bucket. They're considered a speck of dust. This is, this is the dominance of the creator over mankind. There's no nation that is more powerful than... I'm not worried about Russia. I'm not worried about the Babylonians. I'm a god. How about man's organized religion? Look at verse 16. He goes from the, the, the creation to man, now to the man's religion. How does man respond to their knowledge of this God? Well, Lebanon cedars, the wood, are not enough fuel for any of those animals to be enough for a burnt offering. Israel would read this and be like, burnt offerings for the atonement of sin. That guilt that man is trying to shed, you can't burn enough animals. You can't burn an entire redwood forest enough to atone for the sins of mankind you just can't do it who's going to do that what religion is going to bring you back to god do you feel the force of these questions because all of a sudden you feel what do you feel do you feel mighty who are you you feel pretty small don't you but yet god is using this to to not to not put himself over them so that they might feel small He wants them to feel his bigness because he is God and he loves them. The nations, not their value, but the stature before him. Look at verse 17. All the nations are as nothing before him. King Nebuchadnezzar, nothing. He took them all out of the land. Ashura nothing. Hitler, nothing. Stalin, Nothing. She, nothing. No president of the United States, nothing. You are nothing in stature to him. Of value, yes. Every created human being is made in the image of God. Israel, you are of immense value to me. You sitting in the pew, you are of immense value to God because you're made in his image. And what he wants you to know is he wants you to know that, verse 18, he is God and there is no other. Idolatry, that's what Israel Struggled with, they were they were their bank account was a little low, and what they would do is they would make these little idols. They would, uh, you know, find some wood and you know get some dude uh, who's Ricky is a silversmith. Ricky, could you make me a little statue? Thank you. I'll have it for you in a week. They'd put it in their home and they'd be like, Oh, idol, I offer to you all of my children. I will burn them in the fire and and I will give them to you and you will produce fruit for me and I will have. Riches and wealth and power, safety and comfort. That's, that's not an extreme. That's what they would do. They would take the gods of the other nations around them and they would set them up and they would worship them. And God's like, I'm God. I rescued you out of Egypt. What likeness will you set up for comparison with me? He says. An idol, verse 19, something that someone casts? Some poor guy brings some wood that you're gonna put it up on and you're gonna worship that. There's this thing, there's this theological. Can I drop some knowledge on you? Here we go. Ready? It's called the infinity of God, the infinity of God. And it's a it's a concept that shows that the non-communicable attributes of God, things that we don't share with God, one of which is his infinity, which means that he is infinitely permanently different than us. And in one of those ways, it is his immensity, that he is both in creation, but also beyond creation. He is, he is all-powerful, omnipotent. He is more powerful than any of his creation. He is more knowledgeable. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's immense. He's everywhere, always, fully, perfectly. That's this God that Isaiah is talking about. He's infinitely different than us. But... Even though this immense, omniscient, omnipotent God is this. He knows no boundary. He needs no wisdom. He is not subject to any governance. This God, this God of Israel, wants to bring you comfort today. He wants to bring Israel comfort. He wants them to see the foolishness of idolatry. Friends, there's something that you are relying upon whether that's your cash, your relationship, your house, your job. There's something other than God that you are thinking is going to bring you comfort. And it will let you down. In fact, I would be willing to bet 100 bucks It has already let you down in the last few weeks. But you think that I'm just going to give it a second chance. The comfort that you're seeking for, the comfort that Israel was seeking for, is not found in anything other than the God who is the one who created everything, and yet he's also the one that is sitting right next to you by his spirit. Alec Montierre, I think that's, that's, a, that's a, he's a French, I, I don't know, he's, this sounds fancy sums it up. He says this, in one way or another, the fourfold Old Testament doctrine of God the Creator is represented here. He originates everything, maintains everything in existence, controls everything in operation, and directs everything to the end that he appoints. And this God is the King of Kings. 21, do you not know? Israel, you've had the writings of Moses. Israel should have known. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God gave them the law do you not know? Has it not been declared to you, Israel, from the beginning? Of all of the people, you should know of verse 22. God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. The four corners of the earth. North, east, south, and west. When you, when you, when you circle this, he is enthroned above the, the heavens. Isaiah 6. He is enthroned in the heavens. He he reduces princes to nothing, verse 23. Verses 21 through 25 is the summary of all that came before the poem. 12 through 18. Who will you compare to this God? He brings out the stars by number. This God. He calls them all by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. One astrologer, his name's David Cornick. He's an assistant professor at Ithaca College. He used a rough estimate. Let me give you a rough estimate that he gave regarding how many stars there are in the sky that we can see. You ready? This is a rough estimate, so don't write this down and take me, you know, my word. Here's the rough estimate. Of the 10 trillion galaxies in the universe, if you multiply the amount of stars in the Milky Way and multiply that times the 10 trillion galaxies in the universe, it is estimated that there is 100 billion stars or one with 24 zeros. That is one quadrillion in European, one septillion in the American counting. That's a lot of stars, isn't it? And that's not even all that they can see. And God says, I know every single one by name. Not one of them would exist. And that's just the stars. We haven't even talked about the oceans and the fish. We haven't talked about creation, humanity. God does just fine managing his creation, Isaiah is saying. There's comfort in knowing the power of God. Do you think that he can handle your problems? Do you think that he can handle Israel's problems? And that's what we get to. Verse 27, finally, God's comforting presence. God's comforting presence. The question is asked of God, Jacob, why do you say, Israel, why do you assert? Why are you saying out loud? Why do you say this has got to be true? My way is hidden from the Lord. He doesn't see me. He doesn't see us. Israel, we, have, we, have, we are paying what we owe And God doesn't care anymore. My claim is ignored by God. Our prayers are ignored by God. God can't possibly get you out of the circumstance that you're in right now. He can't possibly assuage the guilt that is on your heart. I had a conversation with a man this week who just can't get it out of his heart that the things that he's done, and he's done some incredibly... Horrific things, the things that he has done that God would ever forgive him. I said, that's the deal of the gospel. The gospel is that make a list. What list do you have? I've got a longer one. What have you done? And do you think that God, in his mercy, limits his mercy to a creation that? He understands and knows, like a father knows his child. I know that my child is gonna screw up, and yet I don't drop the hammer. I know that they're two, I know that they're 12, I know that they're young, they they make mistakes, they do it. And infinitely more is his mercy good news because he knows what each of you have done. And in this conversation, I had to tell the man, bro, that's the good news of the gospel. But I enjoyed it too much. Well. That's why you need grace. He couldn't forgive me. And my heart breaks because this man does not know the comfort of God that is offered to him and the comfort that is offered to you freely and available because God has the bank account to give it to you. He's not lacking in mercy or comfort or power. And he wants to give you comfort, he wants your soul to know that you are loved. Do you see me? Do you hear me? Verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God. He is the creator of the whole earth. He doesn't become faint. That word faint there is there's no inherent strength left to give. It's when a boxer just gives everything that he can. And at the end of the fight, he has nothing more to give. It's a runner that has run the marathon and at the end they just collapse because they cannot run anymore. There's no inherent strength to give. God never has that lack of strength. Or he never becomes weary. That word is worn down by the, 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 the hardness of life. Eventually some people just give up. I give up. I'm done. I'm done having one more conversation with my wife. I'm done having one more conversation With my neighbor. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm weary. I give up. God does not grow weary by the hardness of life. Israel, your life is hard. Do not grow weary. Israel, you have no power to rescue yourself. Church, you have no strength to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Tom, you are wearied and lacking strength. Comfort. Comfort. Where do I draw comfort from? The fact that there's a God who made me, who made the universe. He promises me comfort. He is the God that can give comfort because he's power, and then God gives me his comforting presence. Youths, verse 30, may become faint and weary, but he gives strength, verse 20, he gives strength to the faint, and he strengthens the powerless. Yes, you may be young, and you may even grow faint and weary, You may stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord, verse 31, will renew their strength. They will have newfound strength. They will soar on wings of eagles. They will be transformed. They will run and not become weary. That word run there is when you need extra measure. Nobody runs for fun. Some of you run for fun. It's ridiculous. I don't know why you do that. I'm glad I've stopped running. I run sometimes, but I don't run for fun. Sometimes you have to run when something is chasing you. Then you can run. That's what that word there is. You have to run. You need an extra measure of energy. You will run and not grow weary. You will need extra energy to get through the hardships of 2024, and God will give it to you. You will also need strength when you walk. You will walk and not grow faint. That, that there is a, is a hint towards the daily grind of life, the monotony of getting up, Day after day and going to a job you just can't stand, but you love your kids, you love your family, and you're going to grind it out because you want to provide for them, and that's what God has given you. Don't give up caring for that child that needs extra care. Don't give up praying for that neighbor who doesn't know the grace of God yet. Don't give up when the bank account is low and you think that God doesn't see you. The promise here for the new year and the promise that was for Israel is a comfort is available to you. My strength is given to you. Look and see. God hears you. He sees you. And so Israel's question that they had to answer, the question was, is God coming for us? Is God coming for us? And God said, yes, I am. And he came in the form of a man. In the beginning was the word, the word of God said, I would come and comfort you. And the word was with God and the word was God. And he came and he dwelt with his own. And his own looked upon him. And there he was, the incarnate son of God. He gave himself for us. All of the strength of God is available to us in Jesus Christ. He was the one who comes and rescues us out of the wilderness. He is made straight away. Look and see. He's not just for Israel. He's not for Judah. He's for all the nations. Joy to the world, right? We just got done Christmas. In fact, if you're following the 12 days of Christmas, we're still in Christmas. I would argue that Christmas is every day, (laughs) The gift of God's comfort is available to you. Are you weary this morning? Are you doubtful that God can forgive even the worst of your sins? He can. He's given us his son. He's made atonement for us. And that's what the next section of Isaiah is all about. It's the suffering servant. The one who would come and make atonement for your sin and for mine. He would atone for Israel's sin. And all who would trust in him. That's... That's it. You do not have comfort because you do not trust this God. That was, that's, the, that's a straight up answer. Israel, you don't trust me. You didn't trust me. And now you're in exile. But if you will trust me, if you will trust my son, if you will believe my son, you have comfort. Knowing that your guilt can be lifted and your sins atoned for because the suffering servant, the one who will read about Jesus Christ, our Lord. Has given himself for us. Do you know him? Do you have his comfort? If you trust him, you do. If you do not trust him, you do not have the comfort of God. The sermon you've just listened to is a presentation of Church Newtown Square. To find out more about our church, check out churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. You are welcome to copy and distribute this sermon to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.